0: while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head.
1: Cheers! Episode number 68 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Longword. Formed in Seattle during the rainy spring of 2017, Longword is a fusion of punk, prog, and hard rock. Drawing influences from bands like Propagandi, Lagwagon, and Melancholin, Longword's combination of driving rhythms and social commentary-style lyrics hit the sweet spot for a melodic progressive punk rock sound. Their debut EP, recorded in Seattle at Titan Recording Studio by Scott Michael, was released in April 2018. They're currently working on a new full-length album due to be released in the spring of 2020. For more information on the band, check out longword.bandcamp.com That is L-O-N-G-W-A-R-D.bandcamp.com or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LongwordBand. Now here it is, their new single, A Visceral Assembly.
2: A Oh
3: This is Tom from Bigwig and The World's End, and you're listening to that one time on tour. One for the gold, this is going
2: on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play, to get back in the fence.
1: Hey everybody out there in Podcast Land. What's going on? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. This is episode number 68. Can't believe we've done we've done 68 of these things, man. It's crazy sometimes to think back of how many great guests we've had on this show. Today, my guest is none other than my good friend. Mr. Tom Petta from Big Wig and his new bluegrass project, The World's End. It was such a good time talking to Tom. I hadn't talked to Tom for a very long time. We toured together back in the day in Canada. My first band, Chronic Chaos, opened for Big Wig a few times back in the day. And we had a wonderful conversation And uh, I want to thank you guys for coming last week and checking out the episode with Ray Carlisle from Teenage Bottle Rocket. I just wanted to give a shout out to Ray. His son Milo just had a birthday. So happy birthday to Milo and Teenage Bottle Rocket currently are on the Fat Rec Tour with Clowns, this really cool band from Australia, Mean Jeans, and Gin Pop from the Bomb Pops doing a solo acoustic set. Uh, The guys from Mean Jeans and Jen from Bomb Pops are actually going to be future guests on this program. So make sure if the Fat Rec Tour is coming to your town, go check it out and tell Ray and everybody that Chris from that one time on tour said what's up. So, uh, yeah, that's what's going on here, man. I'm going to keep this intro short on the program today. Like I said, Mr. Tom Petta from Big Wig. It was such a good conversation, and I'm going to get into that very, very soon. Before I do that, I want to pay some bills. At the beginning of the program, you guys heard the band sponsored this episode, Longword out of Seattle. They're really, really cool. You guys need to check them out. Go to longword.bandcamp.com and tell them I said what's up. Uh, if you want to become a band sponsor, or if your company wants to become a sponsor for an episode or two or whatever, hit me up tototpodcast at gmail.com. I also want to say what's up to our friends over at merge for socks. They make socks. You've heard me talk about them. I know some of you guys have purchased some of their awesome socks, but you know, they've got Foo Fighters socks and circle jerk socks and sublime socks and socks by professional skaters and Rick Thorne has his own socks. And I hope, Rick, if you ever listen to this, I hope you're doing a lot better, man. I know you're recovering still from your accident you had. Uh, and Rick has a good podcast. Hopefully, it'll be back up soon as well called The Rick Thorne Show. But if you want to get some Rick Thorne socks, go on over to merge4.com. And we are going to be doing this contest. I know I talk about it all the time. I haven't given the details out yet, but it is coming very, very soon. It's our Patreon only exclusive contest with Merge4. If you want to be eligible, go on over to our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Totot Podcast. Get involved at the $5 level, and you will be eligible for that contest, as well as all kinds of other cool exclusive content. And I do want to give a shout-out to... Punk rock, Bob Foster, one of our patrons, he upped his pledge last week. And I said it went from five to 10. It actually went from $10 to $15. So shout out to punk rock, Bob Foster, check him out at punk rock, Bob Foster on Instagram. Uh, He wanted me to let everybody know that he's single. So ladies head on over to his Instagram and check him out. Uh, what else? Let's see. Permanence Tattoo Gallery, my favorite tattoo shop in Indiana. My buddy Jacob Harrison over there is the owner, and uh, you guys need to go there. If you're in central Indiana or if you want to travel to get some good work, their artists are amazing. They have the best prices. The shop is, is such a cool shop. You need to check it out. It's on Meridian Street over in Anderson, Indiana. You can find them on all of the platforms at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. So that does it for the sponsors. I do have a segment I'm going to try out today. I'm going to keep it kind of short. But uh, my friend Brian Nelson, he's going to be on the show soon, hopefully. He used to play bass for the Ataris. He was in my band, The Widow Jenkins. Uh, Brian been, has been one of my best friends for <laughs> since the beginning of time. And we used to own a recording studio called the Gallows Recording Studio. And uh, our recording studio was haunted. It really was and since I I love I, I love paranormal stuff and I listen to paranormal podcasts as well as music podcasts And the funny thing is at the end of this episode tom and I actually talk about the jersey devil Because he lives up close to the pine Barrens in new jersey And if you know what that is, then you'll get a kick out of it But uh, I wanted to start this segment once in a while. I'm going to do it called ghost stories from the gallows and uh, this is a story and there were many people that saw this happen. I'm going to keep it brief, but this really happened. And hopefully when Brian's on the show, we can tell some more ghost stories from the gallows. But uh, and in my recording studio, I had this little ledge at the back of the live room at the top. It was it used to be a garage door, but we walled it over so we could make it into a live room. And there was a, like a, probably a five or six inch ledge at the top of the wall. And I had like all kinds of cool stuff like... Jay and Silent Bob figures and some Star Wars stuff. And I had my collection of like every Iron Maiden action figure ever made. And I had the big, like, like two foot tall Eddie somewhere in time action figure that like when you hit the button, he like shot his laser and moved his arm. And the thing weighs a lot. The thing weighs probably a good five or six pounds. But uh, all these things were up on this ledge and that Eddie doll was kind of, like leaning back against the wall, fighting gravity. You know what I mean? Like it was leaning backwards. We're showing our friends the the new live room. We just got done, you know, putting up the drywall and everything and decorating and painting and everything. And uh, we're all standing in this like big circle in the middle of the drum room, the live room, and we heard this weird noise. And all of a sudden, Eddie, that big like five, six pound Eddie, like two foot tall doll, flew off of the shelf, fighting gravity flew off the shelf and landed in the middle of the room between all of us. There was probably six or seven people there. We all saw it. We all freaked out. We all ran out of the room as fast as we could. And uh, we didn't talk about it much after that, but I have at least five other people that witnessed it. And it was very, very freaky. We'd hear noises all the time. Sometimes we would go in there late at night, and we would just hit record with mics going in in the room, try to get EVPs. It never it never worked out. But uh, I have multiple multiple experiences from our old recording studio, the Gallows. And once in a while, I'm going to bring it up on this show and let you guys let you guys hear it. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. It was crazy. I'm telling you right now, it was the scariest thing I've ever seen. It there's no way it could have just f- like fall like you know fell off of that ledge. It had to actually be pushed out because they didn't just fall off the wall. It shot out into the middle of the room and landed on the floor. So if you guys have any crazy stories like that, I want to hear them. You can email me. You can hit me up on social media at TOTOT podcast, or you can call the hotline and I will maybe feature your ghost story on the show. So um, yeah, you can call one 372 8818 thats three seven two eight eight one eight. Let me know if you have a story. If it kind of ties into music, that's even better. Like, I know it's a lame connection, but this happened in my recording studio. So uh, if you guys have a crazy ghost story, go ahead and call the hotline, whatever. Let me know about it. Maybe I'll feature you guys on the show. But that is going to do it for the intro. I'm going to get into my conversation, but first... Please follow us on all of the platforms at TOTOT Podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this fine podcast. It goes a long way to help with the visibility, and we grow every week, and I just want it to keep going. So if you like the show, throw us a like, throw us a subscribe, share us on Facebook, whatever you want to do, it will help us, and I appreciate it. So without further ado, I'm going to jump right into it. This is my conversation with my good buddy, Mr. Tom Petta from Big Wig and The World's End. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Tom Petta from Big Wig and The World's End. How are you today, Tom?
3: Good. Thank you, brother. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. I feel like it's been years and years since we've actually chatted on the phone.
3: I know. Yeah, it's been too long, man. So, good to hear you.
1: Uh, yeah, it's good to hear you too. I've seen you guys have been doing a lot of stuff, playing festivals and whatnot. It's really nice to see Bigwig back in action. So how does it feel to, to be back out there?
3: Thank you. Uh, it's been cool. I, it took a while, or it took a long break, I think after 2007, and uh, put, put it back on the map around 2013. And it's been going really cool, man. I, I have no complaints. We've, uh, we've been keeping busy, and we're writing a new record now.
1: So Which you, pretty you, fun. you had an accident, correct? You cut your finger. I remember at one point I had talked to you and I was possibly going to come jam with you guys, but like my job schedule was messed up and it just never kind of came together. But I know that you didn't play for a while because you, you seriously injured your hand, correct?
3: Yeah. I took some time off. Um, I was making motorcycle parts on one of my friend's rigs. It was like a big industrial saw and the guard let go and uh it came down and i pulled my entire hand out from it i probably would have gotten chopped off at the wrist um but it took the i would say about a quarter inch of my pointer finger on my right hand which 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 i hold my pick with basically yeah yeah
1: that that sucks man
3: (laughs) yeah i came clear off It. i went flying into the grease catch and uh i didn't get to save it or anything a couple of my friends um basically pulled it out of the grease catch while I was at the hospital and brought it to the hospital on like a bag of ice and stuff. But uh, I, I had to make a pretty quick decision with the, uh, with the hand surgeon that they called in and uh, he's like, listen, I got to sew this up and make it look like a finger or I can leave it as is and let it heal up. And it was like, it kind of cut, uh, perfect slice and like Gumby's head shape, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. The shape of Gumby's head. So I was like, no, nah, I, uh, and oh man, I was freaking out. I was like, isn't there some sort of like uh remedy that we can do to like regrow the fingertip back? I was, uh, you know, I read something about that and he's like looking at me. He's like, man, you got 10 minutes to make this decision. Huh? <laughs> and I was like, all right, sew it up. And, uh, he took like these scissors and basically started cutting, my finger into shape basically. Wow, It was pretty, it was pretty gnarly to watch. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, that was, that was brutal. That was, that was a rough one, man. I've been through some shit, but that was a brutal one.
1: What was the healing process like? I mean, did it, how long was it before you could actually get a pick back in your hand and start playing?
3: Oh man, months. I don't remember exactly. I'm so horrible with time frames, but, um, I couldn't really do much with it. Cause I guess I would have misshapen it. Yeah, Um, I had to let it heal, and I had stitches in it, holding it shut at the front of it. Um, So, I mean, I probably didn't play guitar either at all or well, maybe for a year after that. Um, I was trying to use my other... I wasn't even sure if I could use that finger anymore to hold a pick um, until it healed completely. And um, they did what's called a Y-flap surgery, and I don't even understand it, but I have some... I, I guess they took part of my finger from another part of my finger and made this uh, a new fingerprint. I don't even understand what, where they got the skin from, but um, it looks pretty normal. Yeah, And that guy is an artist because it looks like a fingertip. And I don't even understand where he got the meat or the extra <laughs> flap from. He's, he was great, man. He's a magician.
1: So what um, was, what was it like when you actually started playing again? How out of shape were you? Cause you know, I'm a guitar player and I know that if I go a month or two without really hitting it hard, like I start to just be horrible on the guitar.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I tried playing with the thumb and my middle finger that didn't work. Cause I have that like kind of, um, I guess an Eddie Van Halen style to where I keep the three fingers out instead of my whole hand closed. That's exactly
1: how I do it too, man. Like yeah. completely straight out. Almost like Kirk Hammond. If you ever watch him playing, Yes.
3: That. Yes, totally. Um, And I guess that's my leverage for the fast picking. So I wasn't able to do the middle finger thing. So with my pointer finger, I guess, man, it probably took me a few months to get back to the fast stuff and to be able to, uh, to actually hold the pick and feel the pick because it's a bit numb compared to what it used to be. And I slowly came back to some feeling and, uh, yeah, it's, it's really weird. Like the nail grows a little bit weird. I actually have to carry like a nail file on tour so I can, sand it down so it's, like, the right shape to hold the pick because the nail gets in the way of the pick. And uh, it's actually kind of a (laughs) high-maintenance finger now, man, just to play guitar.
1: It would have been cool if there would have been, like, you know, some – thing that you could do now that you couldn't do before like your pinch harmonics were just insane because your thumbs (laughs) numb.
3: (laughs) well i would that would be awesome i wish i was um yeah i wish i had some sort of superhuman power now but i will say i'm probably a better guitar player than when i started because i never practiced so much i didn't really practice that much before um not a not like i didn't need to i just was lazy i guess with it and um When that happened, I was like, there's fucking no way I'm not playing guitar again. So I just hammered down and practiced as much as I could. And I think I'm a better guitar player because of it, actually.
1: So the one thing I want to talk about, I get into this with, I have guitar players on the show. I'm a pretty, you know, studied guitar player. I I teach guitar for a living. I know all my theory, all my modes, all the crazy stuff. You play some pretty ripping, shreddy solos. Like, What is your background as far as the knowledge side of the theory?
3: Is there any there? (laughs) That's awesome. I envy that you know that much. I wish I I wish I wish studied and learned more about guitar. It's a hindrance.
1: Music. It's a hindrance sometimes, because when I was it, younger, I could just jam and shred and do whatever I wanted. Now I'm thinking about ones and threes, and it really hinders you sometimes. You have to find a happy medium between the two.
3: I can imagine that. Um, I can hang with people as far as playing intricate stuff, but I can't read... I have I have very little background in music theory or or I can't I don't know notes I can't yeah. read notes I can't read sheet music um I learned the names of my strings late in the game hell like um <laughs> I'm just self-taught and I basically learned from playing old metal records by ear yeah, I do yeah. I do have a pretty good ear so I think that helped a lot
1: The old metal records you were listening to back in the day I mean I know that you guys covered a slayer song in one of the pop goes metal comps what were were some of the bands that really got you into music
3: i think i think the guitar bands basically and it was like basically the big four and i'll throw pantera in there as the big five so yeah um metallica slayer anthrax megadeth um pantera i guess um and actually, you know, I, I kind of, when I was a kid, like maybe 12 years old, I really liked glam metal, like White okay. Lion. And uh, even I, maybe when I was like 10, I probably listened to Poison and Bon Jovi. So those are like great guitar players in some of those bands. I wouldn't call CC DeVille the best, <laughs> but in Bon Jovi, man, you know. Um, Richie Sambora is great, man. He's Sambora was ripping. Yeah. And like uh, their bass player is phenomenal. Dude, oh,
1: dude I had I had Ricky Rocket on the podcast last year from Poison? What? Yeah, yeah, and he was telling the story about uh they were going to go with slash instead of CC, but they thought CC looked cooler.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh man.
1: Yeah, so I, I I always thought that slash looked cooler <laughs> myself. Yeah, I, I think
3: I, I, yeah, Guns N' Roses was probably one of my biggest influences from like maybe 10 to 15 years old. Yeah. As far as um, rock and roll and guitar playing, I mean, I kind of I always really liked Izzy and always thought he was a driving force, but he never got that much attention. And I you know, obviously I like Slash, but I mean his solos were like sloppy and shit. But I still loved him. I was I'm not like the most um, accurate guitar player myself, but
1: well, I, tell you, I tell you, living where I live in Indiana, you you get a steady dose of of the Guns and Roses because Axel and Izzy are both from Indiana. So
3: oh, that's right, right, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. I, I I don't really like, um, Axel's persona or his vibe, but I really do love Guns and early Guns N'
1: Roses. What do you think of like the new vibe and persona? Because it seems like he's on his best behavior. Like he he went and did the stuff with ACDC and like Guns N' Roses didn't miss any shows. They weren't even late. Like I see, I feel like he maybe has a new perspective on his career and he's actually trying to play by the book now.
3: I respect that. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what those guys went through in the eighties, um, between drugs, alcohol, addictions, afflictions, and having their asses kissed by giant labels and having that much money at that time and being like forced to tour. So I I can't put myself in those shoes, but, um, I think it's cool what, he, what he's coming back and doing. Uh, I didn't even realize, somebody told me way late in the game that he was singing for ACDC. I was like,
1: what? Dude, he killed it too. And I'm saying- like, I heard, I've, yeah. I've seen some of the videos of the Guns N' Roses stuff with like the original lineup, or at least most of the original lineup back together. And the dude is older and chunkier, but man, he's hitting those notes. It's crazy.
3: I listened to some of it and I was really impressed. He used to be one of my favorite vocalists um, for rock. And, uh, yeah, man, I mean, good for him. Like I mean, we all fuck up in life sometimes yeah. and I'm not going to hold anybody to it as long as you're not doing anything heinous, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like hiring somebody to like kill your ex-wife or your wife, that guy. Um Yeah. Yeah. And
1: they have a new record coming out. Now. We won't give him any press, but it's a, it's a pretty let's big not, yeah. Christian yeah. hardcore metal band. But yeah.
3: Oh, it's terrible that people are backing that. But like, yeah, like you said, let's not give him press. Um, that's just shitty. Like ha- anything super heinous or something, I don't back, and I don't want to hear like you know Ted Nugent crap. Yeah, it's like you know,
1: I don't, I don't, don't um, want to hear about how great Trump is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, uh, yeah, more power to Axel, man. I mean, he was a big influence of mine. I can't say he wasn't. I don't know about. I'm not saying his character influenced me, but, uh, his talent and his style and his edginess, I think his edginess was kind of punk rock at the time. He was saying a lot of shit, um, in lyrics that were pretty gnarly for that time. (laughs) Yeah. And um,
1: I just remember when I was young, and you would you got a appetite for destruction, and the inside cover had like the oof. the rape scene by the robot or whatever. And I just I didn't understand it because I was so young. And then later on, I I know there was a lot of controversy behind it. And I'm like, man, I was so young to be exposed to something like that.
3: Completely, man. And I think in lies, uh, he drops the end bomb. Oh and yeah, he does. I, yeah. think, I think he calls. It, I, one of the the quotes is immigrants and pirates. Um, uh, now I heard interviews of him like trying to talk that off, and I was just like, "Oh, this makes me so uncomfortable because I don't want to. I don't want to like the band anymore." But there's so many artists that I listen to that are just so fucked up. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's part of the dynamic of art is that some of it's just made by fucked up people, or 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 maybe they're just real human beings going through some shit. I just don't agree with it. I wouldn't put it in my music. Um, but I mean, you have the same thing with the descendants. You know, the descendants yeah. years ago were using some pretty edgy words that I don't agree with. And then obviously, through interviews, you know, they'll mention that that was them, you know, trying to be funny at that time. And I get it, man. I don't hold people to that stuff as long as they give an honest explanation or apology, um, just as anybody should,
1: you know. Well, and I, we talk about that quite a bit on the podcast, like separating the artist from the art, because I can't, you know, like Metallica, we talk about, I talk about them on this podcast almost weekly because I love them just like you probably love them. They, they helped you learn how to to write music, to play guitar when, when I, you know, I found out this new thing about them trying to resell to the secondary market through live nation (laughs) and make more money on the tickets. And I'm like, that fucking sucks, but it's not going to make me not like master of puppets. Cause I love that fucking song. I love that fucking record. So separating the artist from the art. I mean, I, I grew up in the Midwest when I was young, Roseanne was one of my favorite TV shows. Everything she said on Twitter was fucking horrible, but right. when, when it's on TV, I still find myself laughing cause it was part of my childhood, you know?
3: Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's uncomfortable and awkward <laughs> Yeah. and uh, it's like watching a train wreck, but, Yeah. I don't know how to feel about that Metallica thing either. That's a pretty shitty thing. I don't know how much truth there is to it. I haven't read, I just read a quick, like, you know, something on Facebook. So I'm not going to hold much value to that until I find out that it's
0: valid. They haven't haven't
1: like made a statement yet. So it kind of worries me because I figured if it wasn't true at all, they would come right out and say something, you know?
3: Ah, fair enough. Um, yeah, but yeah, God, being in the music industry for 25 plus years makes me realize that I'm not sure what the fuck is real anymore. Yeah. I usually don't believe anyone and most of the people are full of shit or have some hand in someone else's pocket to lie about something. So, oh, I I don't, I don't, I don't know.
1: Have you, have you guys ever had any kind of weird thing that happened not had a show or any lyrics or anything that caused any kind of controversy? Uh... I know that's kind of a weird question, but like on the I topic wish. that we were talking about,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were cool enough to have some sort of controversy, controversy or conspiracy. Um, not really. I mean, most of our stuff, I would think, was just um, the stupid. My stupid lyrics from maybe the first record were just for jokes and shock value. Yeah. Uh, I I assumed people thought that they realized we were sarcastic and i think we didn't realize many people would be listening to those songs so they were <laughs> they were written towards a very small localized group of like people that kind of understood the joke like we were always joking about you know vegetarianism or veganism but i was a vegetarian yeah. and all of our friends were like hardcore straight edge you know vegans and stuff um they got it and it was it was localized jokes but once it got out there i think people thought it was like oh this guy is for real and I, it wasn't for real it was super sarcasm but i mean i, I always, I always got
1: funny. the sarcasm because i always thought you guys are kind of a, a more tongue-in-cheek kind of sarcastic version of propaganda as far as that went you know what i'm saying
3: yeah sure sure i mean that's basically what it was and i think we got that from a lot of the sarcastic metal bands that we listened to yeah <laughs>
1: I'm trying I'm trying to remember that that thing about the the stuff bitching about animals or whatever. That thing that was in one of the songs. But yeah, that that's awesome, man. So uh when did you form the band? Was it in like it was in the mid-90s, correct?
3: Yeah, it was uh more early nineties okay. was when I started to put it together. So I was playing in another band um in the local town that I grew up in. We went on a tour. I think we were on a tour with Apocalypse Hoboken, who was one of my favorite bands yeah great band great band great dudes and um at that time that was like my first tour ever so that didn't go well for me as far as getting along with some of the other members in the band i quit in knoxville tennessee and i was like fuck it i'll just grab my guitars i grabbed the giant army duffel bag that i had and a Mesa Boogie Mark II C in a wooden box, so you can imagine how heavy this shit was. And I walked across, I walked across Knoxville to a train station, and I took a Greyhound home. And then on that Greyhound ride, I wrote "Best of Me," which was how frustrating that bullshit was for me. Yeah, and uh, that became one of the records, or one of the, the songs on the on the first record. And I had called up my best friend Danny at home, who was the first drummer on. Mary melodies and i was like hey man do you want to just put something together and do this right and uh let's have some fun and he's like yeah i can't wait for you to get home let's do this so i took like an 11 hour bus trip all the way back and had to move that fucking amp from bus to bus (laughs) oh i didn't get any sleep it was it was a crazy ride i was all bummed out and depressed i just quit a tour usually i don't quit things usually unless i'm really pushed Um, so at the time, I guess it was a really like dramatic and hard experience for me, but looking back, it was probably the best thing that I've ever done.
1: So you got back and you guys started jamming. How long was it before you guys actually recorded something?
3: So we didn't know what we wanted to do. Me and Dan both grew up listening to like Queen, Metallica, Blondie, Megadeth. Those were our bands. He listened to a lot of Iron Maiden. That wasn't my thing really too much, but I appreciate them. Um, and like we were always jamming in his basement, like just guitar and drums, like, uh, you know, trying to like cover Master of Puppet songs and practicing to those and like writing our own, like you know, four chord tunes. We listened to a lot of Screeching Weasel actually, too.
1: Is that where the punk influence kind of came in, like in me- melded with the metal stuff kind of?
3: Yeah, I think my earliest punk influences were probably the Misfits being from New Jersey. Oh, yeah. It was of like. Misfits and suicidal tendencies, I think, were my favorite. And I, I should have mentioned Suicidal Tendencies as the metal reference, but they were so crossover from hardcore punk. And like I also listened to Mucky Pup.
1: Okay, yeah. And
3: uh there was a local band in New Jersey called IDK who were pretty influential and like um a lot of hardcore bands from New Jersey that I liked. So and, and those hardcore bands at the time were very metal influenced and, and kind of breakdown you know heavy breakdowns and stuff
1: It seemed like a lot of the the East Coast hardcore bands had that kind of metal edge to them you know
3: Well, there's no such thing as West Coast hardcore, is there?
1: I mean, there's some bands that (laughs) ride. I'm just just kidding. I'm just
3: kidding. I'm going to catch so much shit for that. We got a
1: lot of West Coast listeners.
3: (laughs) I know. I know. I'm just busting. No, yeah. East Coast um, hardcore was definitely, uh, some people will call it tough guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, stuff like that. Um, I used to love that stuff. I was always the youngest kid with like long hair at those shows. And I I remember your dreads,
1: man. Your dreads are pretty badass.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, not so badass when you're at like, like pretty gnarly, like city garden, skinhead populated shows. And yeah, uh, I got you. you're like 15 years old by yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I was like six, two and people, I guess thought I was older and just probably wanted to kick my ass because of my hair.
1: And I'm sure like, I, I, the funny thing is I was in a reggae band for a while and I actually lived in Jamaica for a while. I had a lot of friends that had dreads and man on being on tour with no showers, they get pretty raunchy. <laughs>
3: They get gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. Tour tour was pretty gross.
1: (laughs) Is that why you cut your dreads?
3: (laughs) Yeah. I got really, really like just sick of them one day and cut them in the van.
1: I just, I remember like before I actually met you, which we'll talk about that story here in a little bit. I just remember that you had the dreads and, And then all of a sudden, I don't even remember how I found out because the internet wasn't even really a thing, but somehow I found out that Tom from Bigwig cut his dreads and like me and my friends, me and my friends were pretty (laughs) bummed out at the time.
3: That's, that's funny and weird. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's
1: like when Metallica showed up to Alice in Chains unplugged and they had their fresh new haircuts, you know?
3: Oh, nice. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just odd when somebody knows that you got a haircut.
1: I don't even... Because I'm saying, like, the internet wasn't a big thing, but I remember having a conversation with one of my buddies. We were big... You know, we were huge fans from the first record. And like I said, this is years before I met you. and And I was like, I don't remember how we found out, but, man, Tom cut his dreads. What the fuck, (laughs)
3: dude? (laughs) I guess that was kind of my signature at the time.
1: Yeah, well, it was... Now it's the cap. You wear the baseball cap a lot, so now that's the cap, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess basically those those times starting the band was formed around thrash and skate punk or i guess what's called skate punk now i didn't call it skate punk then um and you know misfits screeching weasel uh, a little bit of no effects in there tons of bad religion tons of pennywise um suicidal tendencies their first record was like that kind of hardcore record um yeah, like lots of Megadeth. Uh, I would say so far so good. So what and P Cells? Who's buying was like one of my favorite records. Um, you know the first or the, you know the first era of Metallica before yeah. Black Record, and uh, some Pantera was thrown in there, man. So
1: you guys were playing. You know you're recording stuff. What was the process? Were you guys touring a lot or just playing a lot on the East Coast? What was the process when you guys actually hooked up and got signed? You signed with Fearless first, correct?
3: Yeah. If I knew then what I know now, I think most of those processes would have been different and probably less desperate. Okay. Um, I didn't know anything about touring, and I didn't know that a band could go on tour. I thought you had to be like from L.A. and have like some booking agent. And then we found... um, And this is, keep in mind, this is after we went through like a couple, I don't want to call it lineups because there was no actual band. It was just us jamming and trying to like form a band. Um, Trying
1: to figure out what the right chemistry would be, correct?
3: Yeah, I wasn't even planning on singing. I wasn't a singer. I was just a guitar player. So we had like other singers come in and sing. Um, I, I... basically sang by default towards the end just because there was nobody else to, Dude, to I hear, I hear that
1: story so many times from people that are on the, the podcast that are singers it's like well I could sort of carry a tune
3: <laughs> yeah and I love it now I'm glad I did it um I think I was just really self-conscious about my voice at the time and didn't know that it was an option and yeah. I'm really glad I did because I love being a vocalist now and um uh oh sorry I lost track of <laughs> where okay. we were going
1: the beginning sign thing in the processes of oh,
3: yeah. touring and whatnot so the touring started with book your own fucking life by maximum rock and roll used it I'd- so
1: many times for my old band man
3: <laughs> oh man what a what a genius publication yeah. and well done i must say cuz I, I couldn't have organized anything like that at that time and we started calling up other bands cuz you, you know you people would have their phone numbers in there there was no internet um so i would just literally call other bands and like shit man we connected with like afi from the west coast and uh me and davy were trading demo tapes we were talking about maybe like doing a tour i think those guys wrote us and said like oh we just had to cancel our tour because we ran out of money imagine that yeah and um i think i've called up other bands from there i probably made such a jackass out of myself just like i'm so awkward when i like meet somebody sometimes um And yeah, I mean, I, I tried, I was so desperate to just get the band out on the road and to see what it could do. And then we finally started playing some shows. I think we booked our first, booked our first Florida tour, if you want to call it a tour. (laughs) And that was with discount my pal trigger and in like Flynn. And I think that was this, the winter of 95. It was like the Christmas winter of 95. I could be wrong. Might be 94, um, and I think that's when we just recorded the demo, which later became a remixed record of Mary Melodies.
1: Oh, so they just remixed the demo and like made it a little bit better?
3: We recorded it in a garage with our friend Andy at New Blues Studios, which was just a garage studio. It was an awesome studio, though. And um, it was on like one-inch tape. Okay. And so we were playing a hall show with – Oh, well, we, we we used to throw hall shows. We figured out that was a good idea. We're like, if you want to play with big bands, you might as well just book them and then put your band on the show.
1: <laughs> we used to do that in Indiana, too, man. We'd just get like a, a American Legion or something to go, hey, man, Strung Out needs a tour date. Let's get them.
3: <laughs> That's exactly what we did and exactly the band we did it with. Oh, and awesome. <laughs> we, yeah, we played with Strung Out. And Jim Cherry, I love that guy. Rest in peace. He uh he watched us play and he came up to me and he's like, Your band's fucking amazing. You guys are ripping. He's like, What are you guys doing? I was like, I don't know, man. I, I, we don't have any plans. We just we just want to get out there. And he uh he brought me to a payphone and he called Bob from Fearless, like right on the spot. And then he just put me on the phone with Bob. He's like, Bob, you have to hear this band. And I was like, I was so awkward. <laughs> and <laughs> Bob's like, I'm sure it was pretty awkward for Bob too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh Bob's like, Well if if you're as good as Jim says you are, I'll have the contract out this week. I just need to hear it. And he's like, send me a demo. So we sent him the demo. He really dug it. And literally that week, we got a contract from Fearless. And he he had us come out to California. And I retracked the guitars and some vocals on the, the quote demo we did. Yeah. But there's really not much different um, from the demo to the record other than maybe some guitar tracks.
1: So what, what did that feel like? Because, I mean, you know, like I was in the Ataris for a while. I wasn't in the band when they got signed. But, you know, Chris got signed off a demo tape he gave to uh, the vandals, you know, to Kung Fu. And you got signed because a guy saw your band and put you on the phone with Bob. I mean, it, it's almost like a movie. Like, did it just feel surreal to you?
3: It was surreal because we really looked up to the guys in Strung Out. I mean, they're phenomenal not only phenomenal dudes, they're amazing musicians. The musicianship
1: and in that band is is unmatched. I would say it's
3: unmatched. It's unmatched, and I, I love each guy um, separately for all all the reasons you can. And the, the, just watching the band's energy, watching or, and hearing their songwriting. Jason's vocals are phenomenal. Um, I just ha- I can't say enough about Strung Out. Yeah. He took us on our first real US full tour. We split a bus with them and that was crazy and mind-blowing for me.
1: Was there ever talk about you guys going to fat? I mean, what was, because I mean, Jim at the time was hooked up to fat. I <laughs> mean, I just always wondered that because uh, you guys would have fit with that kind of, you know, ex-Hesher kind of punk rock thing, right?
3: Right. All right. There's so many things with that. So when I was like a little grom, I used to go to No Effect shows and probably like tug on Mike's sleeve, being yeah. like, "Hey, give me, give me one of those free compilations you got there, buddy." And uh, you know, he would he would give his attention, and he heard the demo. I think I think where that started, I went to a Warp tour, and I just walked right onto No bus. Okay. <laughs> and Fat Mike and Fletcher were sitting at the table. I'm not saying that was cool of me to do, but I probably shouldn't have done that.
1: Yeah, but you were young. I mean, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a pass.
3: <laughs> I was young, and I think I at least knocked. So I walk on. Fat Mike and Fletcher sitting at the table, and I was like, "Hey, Mike, check this out. You're gonna like this." And he put the tape in, and they actually listened to like two or three songs at the time. And Fletcher was like, "Yo, this is good, Mike. Why don't you give him a contract now?" And I know he was kind of fucking around. But I was like, yeah, give us a contract. And Mike's <laughs> like, this is actually really good. And he's like, let's, let's, uh, let's talk more at a better time, I think. So like later down the road, or Mike, and since that time, Mike's always been really supportive of the band and always complimented it. And he would always tell me, He's like, Man, you scream a lot. He's like, I don't like the screaming. It's too yeah. like hardcore. Yeah. And I I I'm assuming he didn't really like metal and hardcore at the time. I don't know. I'm not speaking for him. <laughs> yeah. And uh but with the one he, thing he I had really to like do,
1: metal a little bit because a lot of those like first wave bands were very
3: metallic. I agree. And a lot of the early no effects riffs are pretty, you know, shreddy oh, shreddy yeah. kind of thrash. Yeah. Um the one thing I've always respected about Mike is he's super honest about music in general. Um, and he'll tell you that I don't like this song, but I like this about it, or I don't like <laughs> anything about it, or I really like this about it. And for someone who's writing music that's exactly what you fucking want to hear and need to hear. You don't want people like blowing smoke, like your friends being like, Oh, that's a great song. And you know, the song sucks. If you're trying to actually create like a good song and be a songwriter and like grow as a songwriter, you want people to be completely blunt and honest with you. And someone who writes as rad tunes is like him or Fletch or Jimmy from Pennywise or those guys that meant a lot to me to hear the truth from them. So now it doesn't mean that you go home and change everything because somebody said, "Yeah, you know, I don't like that song, but it's it's good to have that input and it's just another ear on on your tune, like a producer almost, and it's free at that time so um yeah, that meant a lot to me, so we we kept in touch and stuff, and uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, this part sucks.
1: I'm, I'm ready to so, hear it. It sounds great so far.
3: There was there was a point that I was no longer digging what Fearless was doing. So so after we were on Fearless for a while, Fearless you know was in a garage at that time. Yeah, yeah. We had Becca Be- Becca Porter was booking us from the garage. Who's like I love Becca. She was the, like Fearless's first booking agent basically. And, uh, we would be sleeping on Bob's, you know, garage floor and he would be really like supportive of us, but we were kind of clashing in our idea of what I thought was kind of cool and what wasn't for our band. Um, maybe now I probably should have listened to him more. He's a, he's a pretty smart guy, but I was like young and pretty stubborn and had a, my own vision. Anyway, we had like a falling out. Um, and I was like, fuck this. I don't want to be on your label anymore. Just, uh, I think we had recorded. I think we were already recorded. Stay asleep, maybe. And then I was like, "Okay, we don't want this record to come out on your label." So I shopped it to Mike at Fat, and Mike loved it. And he's like, "I love this. Let's uh, let's do something." But right, almost at the same time, Bob had sold the the contract to uh, Joe from Kung Fu Records. I was
1: wondering because I actually, I know you guys are on Fearless. And then I, I, did it come out on Fearless as well? Because I seem to remember there being like two versions. Maybe they were the same version, but they had two logos.
3: Nope. It only came out on Kung Fu, okay. but it had like some demo type stuff coming out. Um, One of the songs re- was released on the Fat Record compilation, uh, Short Music for Short People. Yeah, I remember that. Fearless had a couple like um, demo tape and like uh, CD recordings that came out. Uh, before the record came out of like, you know, I think out was on a tape uh, or the song out was on a tape. Um, a couple other songs like falling down might've been thrown on a compilation somewhere else. Yeah. And then um, uh, basically Joe from Kung Fu was like, I really want to put this out and I'm going to keep the rights to it. And I was like, no, we don't want to, we don't want to put this on your label. We want to put this on fat. And I don't know if I called or wrote Mike, but he's like, I grew up with Joe Escalani in Beverly Hills or wherever they grew up. Yeah. And he's like, he's an old friend of mine. And I would feel horrible if I took this record from him. And I'm like, I had like the Darth Vader, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, this, okay, this isn't where we wanted it to go. Yeah. Um, I don't remember all the details exactly of why I didn't have more control or rights over where that record went but mike was like listen you're only doing one record deals like we only had one record deals with each of these records basically we didn't want to sign options uh, just in case we wanted to move to different labels yeah that's the way we over- negotiated like every record um so you know mike's like hey if you write another record if if i like it come back to me bring it bring it back to me so we ended up mending our uh well we did not like being on kung fu yeah. at that time uh, it was kind of a nightmare, and it was definitely not our gang, our gig, or game. So we went back to Fearless. We made uh, amends with Fearless
1: because uh, Reclamation was on Fearless,
3: correct? Invitate, yes, you are correct. An invitation to tragedy. Oh yeah, I forgot about record. Invitation to Tragedy. Yeah, I
1: was I was in my mind, I'm I'm seeing the Invitation to Tragedy cover, but I'm thinking
3: Reclamation. No, no, no problem. And then uh, Invitation to Tragedy came out on Fearless, and we did that record with ryan green mixing it so we recorded that ourselves with mike wooding in pennsylvania in like this giant warehouse and then we had ryan mix it and i think to this day that's my favorite production on our records. it
1: sounds great the guitars are solid man they're 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 big you know
3: thanks man um for the early records i love the production dan malsh did on reclamation but i just meant for the early records that was my favorite of the top three and uh yeah. So, I mean, we were happy on fearless and fearless really got their shit together by that time. And, um, I mean, he was killing it. Uh, we were getting along with them. We were doing some really great tours. Uh, everything was going good. It was, it was, uh, it was nice for a while and yeah. And, and then I had some basically reservations with some of the guys I was playing with and that kind of held up some other stuff. Yeah.
1: So because Reclamation was in 2006, and and that was kind of the last one before now, this kind of rebirth of the band. So in that time off, what were you doing as far as like
2: for (laughs) for a living?
1: Like were you doing, I know you're producing stuff and and you had like a couple other things going on as far as a studio, but what what was your life like in that off time?
3: Uh, I was just recording and producing other bands at that time for like since 2007 on after I stopped touring. Um, so, and and actually that, that part of my life got really weird. I had a lot of, uh, anxiety issues, uh, that prevented me from touring. Um, and that's basically like one of the reasons I stopped, uh, a lot of other personal stuff in my life was going kind of weird. Um, and then at the same time was going kind of good to where I wanted to stay home and yeah. focus on my family life. Yeah. Um, I was touring so much with big wig, Before 2006 Some of the years It was like I felt like I was on tour For eight months Out of the year I've been there man (laughs) It's crazy Yeah I'm sure No I know I know So you could relate Yeah And um, I know To to bands Some bands That's what they want to do And I'm grateful For that experience But I'm not sure If that's what I signed up for And I am grateful For every single show I've gotten to play But I don't think I want to do Eight months Out of the year anymore And then like Miss my I missed my dog's life basically I've missed uh you know having relationships with friends and girlfriends and my parents uh I miss birthdays, I miss weddings. you know the deal you miss uh the birth of your your family members or the death of your family members yeah, yeah. and at that time um you know it wasn't blink one eighty two money it was uh it was money i'm grateful for but it wasn't money i can just get on a plane and jump on the plane and go home and see somebody get married and rent a hotel for a few hundred bucks i didn't have that money yeah, i just yeah. didn't
1: you had to basically if you wanted to survive you had to stay on tour
3: that was it yeah. yeah and you know uh when i was like 20 we were on tour with Les and jake and i caught meningitis like meningococcal meningitis wow um if you don't know what it is, look it up. It's it's a really gnarly fucking disease, and it almost killed me. And it was real. And after that, I was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this at this level. And after that, you know, I still did it at that level. I was just being pushed and pushed by Fearless and Kung Fu to just keep touring, and not in a bad way. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, yeah,
1: they want you to be out there pushing the record that they're putting course. out. I mean, it's kind of a symbiotic thing. They're doing their job, and that's your job. So I mean, I
3: get it. It was my job, exactly. And um, there were just points where it became not so fun. And just like any human, I started to miss the shit at home. And I was like, hey, I don't know if this is what I want to do. Like, I-, I love making art, I love making music. Just don't know if I want to do it like this at this capacity.
1: Well, I-, I love the way that you guys are doing it now because it seems like you're doing, you're touring in a way that allows you to maybe not have it be the full focus in your entire life. Yep. I mean and that's that's something that I'm kind of looking for right now because when when you and I were talking about, you know, jamming back in the day, I wasn't married and didn't have any kids. Now I have two toddlers and a full-time gig teaching and all this stuff. So, I get offers all the time, but it's got to be something that is going to make sense to my life, and I like the fact that you guys have kind of figured out how it makes sense in your life.
3: First of all, that's awesome and congratulations to you because most people don't get that balance. You know, I know how much you worked in music and the fact that you got married and have kids and you found a balance. A lot of my yeah. friends don't find a balance and it's either due to too many drugs or partying or they stay out in the road to, you know, be the rock star, Yeah, which is fine. I respect all of it, but sometimes that's just not the fucking reality. Music's hard. Music sometimes doesn't even matter how talented you are. It doesn't mean you're going to get far. It's just kind of, uh, kind of Russian roulette sometimes.
1: Yeah, totally, man.
3: And, uh, yeah, I mean, our band was doing great. I'm grateful for that, and it's still doing great. I'm so grateful to be able to play punk rock and metal or hardcore, whatever you want to call it, um, and have people come out and watch. I love it. It's it's fucking awesome. From my finger after meningitis, um, after taking a hiatus, you know, our fans were still there waiting for record, I'm still waiting for new record, and I'm I'm slacking on it just because of uh, a <laughs> because I'm trying to find that balance, basically, of like you said you know a balance of life uh, relationships uh, other goals that you have in life other than music yeah. um responsibilities priorities all that kind of stuff
1: so one thing that i wanted to talk about we were talking about touring uh i know that uh you did some tours with no use for a name i'm sure you you got to hang out with tony quite a bit you know yeah. Tony's passing was just a, uh, the anniversary was a couple of days ago. I met Tony a few times back in the day and he was always just the nicest guy. Do you have any stories or anything about Tony you could share with me?
3: Man, I have a ton and I'd be happy to. Um I don't even know where to start with Tony. I don't know him on the level say like, you know, a guy like Joey Cape or Fat Mike knows him. Those yeah. guys yeah. were so close and you could tell and that's that's amazing. Tony taught me so much shit about music that I had no clue about. And he also taught me about that balance of family. Um, I remember when he was having his kids on the tour in Europe and he, uh, you know, he was buying gifts for them and you can tell that he totally missed his family and it was legit. It wasn't bullshit. Um, I guess the one thing I could say about Tony is how real the guy was and how honest he was in such a cool way to to really be like, okay, this guy doesn't look like a punker. Like he didn't have the fucking mohawk when I was hanging out with him. I'm sure he has at some point.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, but like he his attitude was very like, I don't give a fuck what you think about me, but I'm still gonna be a classy dude. And his talent was just unmatched, man. His songwriting is fucking phenomenal, his guitar playing was tight his vocals were angelic every yeah. time i hear his vocals i get chills and like the guy's range was amazing you know not getting too nerdy but he's a he's a great vocalist he's a great songwriter and when you talk to him he's really humble he's also really fucking dark and sarcastic and funny to <laughs> to me at least
1: he was like that i mean like i said i met him maybe three or four times over the course of touring and yeah, man, I mean, everything you're saying is correct. Like he had that kind of witty, dark sense of humor, which me and my friends all have. So I was like, oh, dude, you should just be in our circle of friends.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that he took the chance on my band and Matt and Dave and Rory. Yeah. Um, those guys are all stand-up fucking dudes and they're all really, really talented. Uh, I always, I hate the word underrated cause it's almost an insult sometimes, yeah, but yeah, I think they were too good for fat records.
1: I mean, I can, I can get behind that because it, it just seemed to me like, I mean, everybody that I let hear that band, cause they're, they're a big band for me. They're one of my favorites of all time. And I let people that maybe aren't into punk rock. I let them hear something from them and they like it automatically. Like it's, I can I think it kind of transcends what was going on at fat and Kung Fu and fearless at that time. Those, those labels, even epitaph, it was on another level as far as structure and songwriting was concerned for me.
3: It really was. And the lyric content was amazing too. Yeah. Um, that, that's, it's rare to have all of those things and anybody could listen to no use for name and be like, that's fucking great. Yeah. You know, the melodies, the songwriting, the structure, the odd chord progressions, uh, the playing uh dave's leads uh matt's like you know Trifinger, finger steve harris <laughs> playing like yeah i mean it's just the harmonies uh, you can't you know you, you can't really match that stuff i mean to me strung out was that on a whole nother metal type level like a definitely yeah yeah you know thrashy version of that so i mean you could see why fat records was fat records at the time and what they were pumping out was like holy shit man like these are great songwriter writers and releases. And um, when you really think about
1: those like first four or five bands, I mean, they have Lagwagon,
3: they have oh, Propagandhi,
1: they have Strung so Out. Good. No, I mean, how can you miss? That's like the big four, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, I would say um, Lagwagon, No Use, and Strung Out to me are untouchable as far as the songwriting and musicianship at that time dude man. that new I mean,
1: lag wagon record that just came out i don't know if you've heard it it's just as good as anything they've ever done
3: nice nice trash is my favorite one by them so far me too but man. <laughs> I- i'll uh i'll check that out because I-, I know that you have some good taste if you
1: like trash you're gonna love the new one
3: man it's great awesome awesome i love the new strung out
1: oh yeah it's really good too i just uh vanessa over at fat just sent me a promo of it it's it's crazy man
3: Oh sweet, yeah they're they're great man. I mean I miss that about Fat Records. I miss the quality of that of their releases basically. Yeah yeah.
1: The new Good Riddance is really good as well. You should just check everything. I'll send you links.
3: <laughs> oh I haven't heard that one.
1: It's pretty cool. Yeah I was gonna say uh, when I first met No Use it was on a Warp tour. I can't remember the year, but. Uh, rory tried to teach me how to surf somewhere (laughs) i (laughs) don't remember where we were at but yeah i was horrible at surfing so i don't know if rory ever listens to this but uh i need to get you on the show and maybe you can show me how to
3: surf again sometime he's a great dude um no use took us to europe and we split a bus with him and that's how i kind of got to know them a bit more and that was a really weird fucking time in my life i was a I was pretty battered by then. I probably wasn't the coolest person to tour with. And uh, they seemed to put up with me. Tony got me on the plane because I just don't like flying. I yeah. will do it, but I don't like flying. I think his thing was he didn't like flying over land. Yeah. Okay, he didn't like flying over land. And uh, I mean, he got me to a doctor. The doctor got me on some Xanax, and uh, the Xanax got me onto the plane. I don't, I don't, I don't fucking party with pills or do any of that. Um, And actually, at the time, I didn't even take like Advils for a headache. Wow! So for me to have taken any sort of pill at that time was pretty different for me. But uh, it got me to Europe. It got me back, and I have like literally no use in Tony to thank for that um, because we had a crazy fucking. I didn't know the fan base we had over in Europe until that.
1: Well, that's like, I think a few years back, I mean, a few years, maybe like seven, eight years ago when I was talking to you, some of my buddies who are promoters down in South America were like bugging the shit out of me to get you to come to South America.
3: (laughs) Come to Brazil.
1: Well, Brazil and, and Peru and Chile and everywhere. And I remember I talked to you about it a couple of times and it just kind of went away. But yeah, man, I mean, you guys... From what I've seen online, I mean, I know you guys are very popular in Canada. I get that all the time because I have so many friends up there, and all they talk about is Bigwig. and You guys <laughs> play up myth. there all the time, <laughs> but you guys have a huge fan base in South America. I know it's got to be the same in Europe. What, what about Australia? Do you guys get a lot of like emails and stuff from there?
3: Yeah, there was like a page to have Bigwig come—a Facebook page to have Bigwig come to Australia, made by Australians. Um, I think I think I have fearless to credit that for and fat records because they were international, di- internationally distributed yeah. and really pumped us in all those places. And I think we probably should have done more like, you know, our, our Japan tour sold out. Um, we just didn't go to Australia. Like we should have right after Japan, I guess a lot of bands do that cause it's not close, but it's closer. And if you're already out there, you might as well. Yeah. Um, we skipped Australia. We also got asked to do, it was an Australian tour i forget with who i couldn't go at the time um yeah so i mean we've we've done japan and europe we haven't hit south america i get tons of mail from there i get tons of mail from australia a lot of australians come to certain festivals and they always introduce themselves and they're like you guys would do great down there so i mean we we still we're still planning it it's just uh like i said finding the balance of time yeah and uh we're self-funded right now, so it's it's not exactly easy to just go book a an Australian tour, oh, yeah. especially when you're not on Fat Epitaph. Those are the bands that get priority to those things.
1: Yeah, totally, man. So you know. I, I want to switch gears a little bit. I know that a couple years back, you moved to Tennessee. I know you're you're doing some bluegrass stuff. You have Tom Pettit and The World's End. I know you just played a festival up in Canada with that band and Big Wig. <laughs> so can you tell me how... Like what the, the What the choice was To move to Tennessee And did that influence This new bluegrass thing
3: Yeah I think it was always A kind of a A shelved dream of mine To Play an acoustic genre That just wasn't like Solo acoustic stuff yeah. Um I've always liked bluegrass Because it's basically It's like acoustic, metal <laughs> it's, it's acoustic metal and yeah. punk Right it's like the punk beat with uh, With metal shredding Yeah on uh, a mandolin banjo acoustic guitar a dobro guitar and an upright bass and a fiddle so um yeah it's the same it's like dragon force on acoustic basically um the guys i play with in nashville new jersey and uh, montreal are absolutely phenomenal shredders i can't keep up sometimes I just sing and play a guitar in that band, um, and I learned so much that I, that I just never learned in punk rock about music and about playing. So it's a it's a very cool dynamic, but it still has the exact – it gives me the same feeling and uh, has the same energy as playing in a punk band.
1: I mean, I watched, I watched one of the videos of you guys, and that's kind of the thing that got me. Like, I've never been huge into bluegrass. I like it and respect it, and I know how badass the players are, but I watched a video of you guys playing, and it felt like a punk show. I mean, like, just how you guys <laughs> Thanks, were playing. Man. The energy was there. The speed, like the passion for what you were doing. So I think it's really cool that you have these almost polar opposite genres, but they mesh. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah. I think, I think one of the problems is if someone's not familiar with bluegrass, they hear a banjo and a fiddle and they assume it's country and that puts them off because a lot of country really does suck. Yeah. Um, And some bluegrass is basically played by older older people because it's been around for so long and they happen to be like the you know the top notch of their class so they have an older fan base that grew with them so there's lots of bluegrass festivals and shows that have older people sitting in chairs it's very mellow um, you know it's very proper and that's totally cool I respect the shit out of that um, that's going to be punk rock in another 20 years hopefully uh, you know but there's also another side of bluegrass that has a huge part in the jam scene, uh, you know the Grateful Deadheads and fish, peop- uh, you know like fish fans. Yeah, there's a uh, jam bands that play bluegrass, and then there's like kind of criminal bluegrass or younger version bluegrass too. And then you have your folk punk guys or uh, and gals that uh, you know, cross over into that genre a little bit. And I think there's so much of it that it's hard to kind of pinpoint what bluegrass is exactly these days but i'm trying to basically just uh get it out there as high energy and keep it traditional instrumentational wise or instrumentation wise um and keep just keep some energy
1: have you found that you know your core fan base from big wig has been accepting and is kind of digging the stuff you're doing with the bluegrass band
3: yes and thankfully because uh I didn't want to ride off any of the punk or bigwig stuff and like ride on that coattail. But I think it, it was an easy in, even though I didn't, I didn't push it to that crowd. I pushed it to an actual bluegrass crowd who, who did take well to it and was like uh, receiving it well. And it, it just seems like it's, it's crossing over into both. And uh, I'm pretty stoked about it because I get to show, my version of bluegrass to the punkers and i think my version of bluegrass is pretty aggressive compared to what (laughs) traditional bluegrass is to you know old bluegrassers and i've been getting compliments on that so it's really cool i mean keep in mind too man i'm playing with top-notch well-respected bluegrass players that have been around way before me playing bluegrass um so, i mean they, they kick so much ass and they're such good people it's it's just a blast to play with i love playing with the guys in big wig and the guys in world's end and gals in world's end I, yeah i have a it's just it's just so much fun i just love playing music
1: that's awesome and you guys do you have a release out now or is it is it being released soon
3: i had to add some fiddle to a couple songs but i have an ep coming out for the world's end um and basically i'm hoping to get that out by fall it should be like six or seven songs i'm mixing that
1: is that, uh, is that just self-released or you working with a label or
3: i've been talking to a couple labels so I, I never know yeah it's 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 always so last minute with that stuff you know how that goes oh yeah, um, yeah i have a couple offers and uh it's really weird i've noticed with labels lately they're not too stoked on paying for your recordings but they want to pay for the pressing
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And. I, I'm like why how could you call yourself a fucking label if you don't go all in? Like I don't want to pay for all this and do all the work, but um I don't know. I don't know what what's going to happen with it.
1: So I wanted to uh I wanted to tell you a story. I was going to do this earlier in the podcast, but we kind of got sidetracked. So the first time that I ever met you was actually my first ever band, high school band, Chronic Chaos open for you guys in Indianapolis. Oh yeah. We talked for a little bit, but it wasn't like anything big. Then I met you a couple years later. In Canada, when I was uh, with this band called Sewing with Nancy, that later became The Reason. And we did a lot of shows with you guys up in Quebec, like Ramuski and Sherbrooke and places like that. Oh, yeah. And I just wanted to tell the story that I remember that you right away wanted to hang out with me and be my friend because I had American camel cigarettes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, man. I've quit smoking since then. And I hope I keep. Uh, keep- Keep off the cigs. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm still doing it whenever, you know, sometimes. I'm not doing it as much as I used to, but I mean, I just remember when I, every time I would go with the reason or so with Nancy, whatever they're called back then, I don't even remember. But uh, every time I would go to Canada, I'd be up there for like eight to 10 weeks. <laughs> so I would just s- sneak across as much as I could. I'd have like eight cartons of camels.
3: Oh and yeah, man.
1: You and the other guys in big wig, everybody that smoked found out I had camels and you guys were my best friends. <laughs>
3: Yeah, those camels are those are really gold up there. Apparently, yeah, yeah
1: they're crazy, man. So uh, I've had you on the phone for a really long time. Uh, is there any new music for Big? I know you're working on music for Bigwig, but is there a plan to release it? Are you going to do like singles, like a lot of bands are doing? Or are you going to do like another full length?
3: I have two full lengths and an EP written. We have a cover EP that we've been working on and picking songs for that. Uh, those songs keep switching. Uh, we've taken so long to put everything out basically cause of funding and, uh, that's it. I mean, that, that's the honest truth. We just, we, we don't know where to start with the funding. Um, that's it. Yeah. Uh, I have tons of tons of material and it's stuff that I'm really happy with. I think it's some of our best stuff and I'm excited to get it out there. I just don't want to get it out there on some, uh, lame level i want it to be good i want to to record it well
1: do you feel like with the resurgence of like i was telling you the new lag wagon is kind of like old school lag wagon and the the good riddance album is like old school good riddance do you think that there's a chance that a label like a fat or a fearless would put this new stuff out i mean do you guys still have a working relationship with them
0: yeah
3: we still talk to fearless they're a completely different genre though um it's
1: all pop weird stuff now i mean it's stuff that sells i guess (laughs)
3: Well, some of it um I just went to go see August Burns Red and Silverstein yeah. in Nashville the other night. And uh man, August Burns Red is a fucking heavy, they're, heavy they're band. They're
1: great, man. Yeah, yeah. I've seen them yeah. live. They're
3: great. They're on Fearless and they're super happy on the label, except you know that that label's basically pumping out things like that. And yeah. um I don't know how much room they have for a band or or a need or a want for a band like Big Wig anymore even though, you know, we basically started with the label. Um Yeah, yeah. I have no objections to any of the labels you mentioned. I like the releases on Epitaph. I like the releases on Fat Rec. I like the people at Fat Rec. Um, I like the people at Fearless. We're not against it. It's a matter of getting good demos on tape to where I guess they could hear them first.
1: Yeah, yeah. Have and something to actually present to them.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've been hearing, like, the budgets that some of those labels have been giving bands. And, man, I don't know how some of these bands are doing it. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah. His studios are still expensive. The budgets are lower. Um, with people stealing music, it's it's hard to sell records.
1: Do you still have your equipment? Like, are you still recording stuff on your own, or is it always going to somebody else's studio?
3: I'll I'll do most of it. I don't have a drum room anymore, and don't want one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want the overhead or the responsibility. So we we go to other studios for for drums, and then sometimes I'll import it back into my pad or my my studio stuff. Uh, recently, I had a disaster happen at my house. So my house in New Jersey, where most of my gear was, and it got all destroyed. So that's my new dilemma that I'm trying to work on. I think we're going to probably crowdfund this new record if sure. that's a good option. So we're, we're, I mean, we're looking at that.
1: A lot of people are doing that, man. I mean, I wouldn't see why not. You guys, I mean, hell, your fans in Canada could probably pay for it four times over.
3: I think I think the Canadian <laughs> thing's a myth.
1: I, I, it just seems like, okay, every time I've ever been up there, no matter what, <laughs> no matter what province I was in, if I had, I used to have this big wig hoodie and I also had a big wig shirt and people would point it out everywhere that I went. And I, I know you guys play up there, all those big festivals. I just feel like Canada is your, your main spot right now.
3: I don't think so. I mean, when we go to <laughs> Florida, it's the same. When we used to play California, it was the same. New Jersey. Um, and we used to play all those big fests in the east coast yeah um, i see what you mean and i'm not downplaying canada at all i think the music scene up there is generally more receptive than anywhere in the united states that i've been yeah um for every band i don't think it's just for wig. um yeah i mean you know we still play i i guess uh comparing it to like you know a 20,000 person festival we we play like 100 to 200 cap rooms up there um (laughs) you know it's not it's not maybe what everybody thinks it is and but they're fucking diehard fans about music in general man i love the energy in uh in canada ontario and quebec especially and we grew up what five to six hours south so i've never considered you know from the beginning or the inception of big wig when you live in New Jersey at the top of like North Jersey, you're only five hours from Quebec. Yeah. That's right above New York for us. So on a tour, it makes it's, it's local. It's almost local. So even though it's like quote international, it's right there and it's easy to get to. And the people are warm and receptive just like anywhere else. So I think that's why we always went. And if you go South, we had North Carolina and South Carolina, which sucked for us. Um, so why go South, you know, cause you have to go all the way to Florida and Georgia for us. Yeah. Delaware, nobody came to see us. Baltimore was pretty cool, but not too many other places in Maryland were that, that great. Virginia was okay. The Carolinas sucked for us. So we would mostly go West and North.
1: Have you guys played out West recently at all?
3: No, nah, we've been trying to plan something for a while. a couple hiccups in it, but I mean, we're trying to get out there for I think like five dates.
1: Cool, okay, so I've got one last question, and this is kind of the weird question it's It's not music related at all now right I've spent a lot of time in New Jersey, and uh, <laughs> I know that's where you're from. I have a yeah. lot of friends out there now i I like weird stuff like aliens and and you know like cryptozoological stuff. What is your opinion? of the Jersey Devil.
3: Oh, I live in that I live in that hood.
1: That's why I um, ask. I know you live yeah. in that
3: hood. Yeah, the Jersey Devils, uh what is it, Mother Leeds? Is that her Mother I forget. I, I don't know too much of the history. I just know like, you know, the the, the short versions of the myth or maybe not myth. <laughs> um she's only the 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 birthplace of the New Jersey Devils like fifteen minutes from my pad. Wow. Um I think it's cool. I think it's a cool story. I don't know how it came about. Um, I've heard some strange noises in the Pine Barrens, you know, do you have any friends,
1: any friends that have had like experiences or do you know people that have actually said they've seen it?
3: (laughs) I want to tell you I do, but I really don't.
1: Okay. I mean, that's fine. I just thought, you know, I don't, I don't get to talk to a lot. I talk to a lot of people from New Jersey, but not your part of New Jersey, you know?
3: Right. Yeah. Um, no, it is it is popular down there and actually I don't really hear the locals talking about it too much. So maybe that's why I'm not well versed in it. <laughs> okay. I've been right up to the house though. We we we've we've gone and explored and it's it's all pretty cool and creepy and fun. We'll usually cruise by on Halloween.
1: <laughs> that's awesome, man. Okay, well, I've had you on the phone for a long time. I'm gonna let you go enjoy your evening. Is there any dates or anything you would like to plug for the band?
3: And. Uh, I don't know when this will be out, but uh, I think our, our only next booked venue is Envol at Macadam up in Quebec City with Lagwagon and the Subhumans. Awesome.
1: That's going to be great. In September. Awesome. And do you have, like, and, uh, is there, are you guys going to be playing a lot of shows before the year ends?
3: We're hoping to. Uh, we just have to basically find what regions we're going to be playing in and then book them. So. We plan on having a pretty busy year because this will be our anniversary for the band, and it was uh, 20 years of Stay Asleep, our wow. second record.
1: Awesome. Are you guys going to maybe do what every other band does and play the entire record? That would be awesome. Yeah, uh, That's an idea. That would be awesome. We're
3: open to it. If, if somebody wants to hear it, we'll do it, man. I'd love to, I love that record. I love playing our stuff. So, so love uh, to do
1: it. what are the, uh, the socials for my listeners to check out the band? Do you know those offhand?
3: Oh man, we're so fucking lame with all that stuff. We don't have a website. We we work off of a Facebook platform for pages for our, our band pages. Instagram. I don't give a fuck about Twitter because I can't figure out how to use it.
1: I'll um, I'll just find all this stuff and put it in the show notes so they can check it out. They can also Google Big Wig. I'm sure it'll come up.
3: Yeah, hopefully it should be easy.
1: Well, I just want to thank you so much, Tom. It's great catching up with you, man. I love the band. I'm I'm always gonna be a fan and I know we've talked in the past. Hopefully I got my fingers crossed someday in the future. If you ever need a guitarist, maybe it'll work out,
3: man. Well, miss you, man. I'd love to hang. Let's do that soon. And uh, thank you so much. It was fun.
1: Cool. I will talk to you soon. Have a great night, my friend.
3: All right, brother. Thank you. Bye.
1: So there it was my conversation with Mr. Tom Petta from big wig and the world's end. I hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, I had to ask him about the Jersey devil. Cause he lives in that area of New Jersey. I've always liked the paranormal stuff, so I had to ask Tom about the Jersey Devil. But thank you guys for coming back this week and checking out my conversation. I love doing this podcast, and it means a lot to me that so many of you out there care, and I get emails all the time, and it's just it's really cool. So thank you guys for being a part of this little community that we've started. On the program next week, this is a big one for me. I'm very excited. Mr. Scott Radinsky, Major League Baseball relief pitcher. An awesome front man of Poli. He was also in 10 foot pole. Scott was such a great guy. We had such a great conversation. We touched on baseball. We touched on the band stuff. We touched on everything. So you need to come back next week for my conversation with Mr. Scott Radinsky from Poli and Major League Baseball. He's the first actual professional athlete that I've had on the program. Well, I mean, Rick Thornes a professional athlete. There's there's been a I guess Wee Man was a professional athlete. The first actual I guess major league like commercial sport professional athlete. And he's also one of my favorite singers in punk rock. So come back next week for Scott and uh, I love you guys. Send in your top 5 lists and your ghost stories, the new segment. Ghost stories from the gallows. You can call the hotline 1765-372-8818. Or you can email us, tototpodcast at gmail.com, at tototpodcast on all of the social media platforms. Hit us up. Talk to us. Let us know who you want on the show. Give me a suggestion for a guest. We have some amazing guests coming up in the future, but I'm going to get out of here. It's late. I'm tired, and I want you guys to enjoy this. And The sooner I get it done, the sooner I can upload it and give it to you. So before I get out of here, as always, I'm gonna play some music. I'm gonna play one of my favorite Bigwig tunes. It is off of their last full-length record that came out in 2006 on Fearless Records. That album was called Reclamation, and the song that I wanna play is called Rat Race. It has some shreddy guitar stuff, amazing bass line. The vocal melody's awesome. The drums are thunderous. I think you guys are really gonna like it. If you're not already associated with Bigwig, I think this song could get you into it. They also have some popier stuff too. They are a great band. If you guys like pop punk, metal, hardcore, thrash, whatever you like, there is a Big Wig song that you will dig. So make sure to check them out. And I'm out of here. This is Rat Race by Big Wig. I'll see you guys next week.
2: Peace. Mm